I could make a big mistake, make a bad decision, and it will affect a lot of people. I can only just do the best that I can. Showing up is everything. Consistency is everything. Welcome to the Career Relaunch Podcast. For the past seven years, we've shared the personal stories of people from around the world who have decided to reinvent their careers. My name is Joseph Liu, and I believe clarity, confidence, and courage allow you to make brave changes that bring you more career fulfillment. In each episode, I feature people who have boldly stepped off the beaten path to relaunch their careers. We talk through the setbacks and successes of their personal journeys to help you understand what it takes to relaunch your own career. Today, for this special 100th episode, the very first guest I ever interviewed for this show is returning to talk about how things have gone for her in her personal and professional life since we first spoke in 2016. Afterwards, during today's Mental Fuel, I'll summarize my top takeaways about managing the dynamics of career change I've learned from all the guests on this show. Ideas of where you could take your career typically emerge in subtle ways. You could read something or hear something or feel something one day that plants a seed in your head about a project, initiative, or path that kind of sparks your interest. Now, in most cases, you may just dismiss the idea and refocus on the things already filling your time, like your day job, work projects, or life demands. But in some cases, the idea kind of just hangs around like a shadow and nags you until one day you feel like you just have to address it. And if you don't, it just keeps bugging you or even haunting you until you do. For me, the idea to create this podcast emerged about seven years ago after I started to see that while my clients on the cusp of making a career change do benefit from how-to advice, expert guidance, or prescriptive tutorials, what they really want and often lack is companionship and inspiration to sort of normalize the idea of following an unconventional career path, but also to amass the emotional motivation to make a brave change. So in 2016, I decided to record a few conversations with people willing to share their honest perspectives about how they changed careers to see if listeners would find something helpful in these stories. 99 episodes, seven seasons, and nearly half a million downloads across 170 countries later, we've now arrived at the 100th episode of this podcast. And I thought, who better to invite to be our guest today than the very first person I ever interviewed for the show, Ann Tumlinson, who's kindly agreed to join us again to share an update on how things have been going for her since her episode aired in September 2016 when this show first launched. Ann and I first met way back in 2002 in Washington, D.C. She was the first manager I had at a consulting firm I joined a couple months after I dropped out of medical school which was my first experience with changing career paths myself. At the time, I was feeling confused about what to do next, questioning my place in the professional world, and experiencing one of the lowest points in my life. As someone who had been set on becoming a doctor, I was actually a bit skeptical about working at a for-profit company. But Anne had a direct role in helping me realize that you could actually do a lot of good in many different sectors when I was in the midst of trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life instead of medicine. Over the past two decades, we've managed to stay in touch and reconnect at just the right times. In 2014, a few months after I left my corporate marketing job to start my own career change consultancy, 
and left her full-time health policy role to found her own advisory firm focused on setting the direction of aging and disability policy in the U.S. Shortly after our first podcast recording in 2016, she hired her first employee and now as CEO of ATI Advisory and oversees over 30 experts and analysts delivering solutions to public and private leaders addressing the most complex needs in healthcare. I think Anne would agree that we've both benefited from each other during the turning points in both of our careers. I'm so excited to have her back on the podcast today to share her reflections on how her journey has gone during these past few years as she's paved a new career path for herself. You can get all the show notes from today's conversation at careerrelaunch.net slash 100 and spoke with me from Washington, D.C. Well, hello again, Anne. I am very excited to have you back on the Career Relaunch podcast. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's exciting to be back. The last time we spoke was a few weeks ago, actually, over dinner when I was in D.C., So we did manage to catch up a little bit. But before that, the last time we actually recorded a conversation between the two of us was way back in 2016. And I'm not sure if you remember this, but you were actually the very first person I interviewed for the show because the podcast hadn't even launched. But it did eventually launch with your episode being one of the first exactly seven years ago in September 2016. It was thrilling because you did such a good job with it and you made that beautiful illustration you were featured in the trailer yes (laughs) that was pretty neat to see that come to life so Mm -hmm. creatively probably the show may not have happened without you (laughs) just to kind of go back in time so now this is now the 100th episode and wow yeah i thought it'd be very fitting to have the very first person i interviewed on the show to come back and to share your story again just to check in on how things are going That's awesome. We've really been on this journey together. Definitely. This is going to be a little bit of a different chat from other episodes, because I guess the idea here is for us to have a bit of a conversation about how things are going for you and for me. And seven years after that chat we had back in 2016, at the time on your end, you had just launched off on your own. Mm -hmm. You had just begun developing the concept of daughterhood you were a solopreneur and now you're a CEO overseeing a whole team at ATI Advisory. For me, I was about three years into running my own business, beginning my shift from one-on-one coaching to more content creation and public speaking. I wasn't a father then, I am now. Your kids were living at home. They're in a totally different phase now. So a lot's changed for both of us. I was hoping that we could organize this chat into past, present, and future where you were what you've experienced along the way and what's next for you. So maybe you should go first here and let's just go back in time. Can you try to mentally transport yourself back to 2016? What do you recall you were focused on at the time? And maybe we should start with the personal. What was your family life like in 2016 and what was going on with you personally? And then we'll get to the professional in a second. In 2016, I was I want to call myself a single mom. I mean, I was co-parenting with my ex-husband, so it wasn't like I was in it all by myself, but certainly I was the head of the household that I live in and the sole earner with two teenage children. So 16 and 13. So we were looking at colleges for my oldest child. Now she has made her way all the way through college. She has graduated and she is fully employed 
And then my youngest is in college. So I'm in a really different place in parenting. And I got married in 2018. And do I have this right? Your separation had not happened that long before we recorded our episode in 2016. Do I have that? Yeah, right? I separated in 2011 and was divorced in 2012. So if you've never been through anything like that, this may sound weird, but if you have, it will ring true. It was a 15 year marriage. So it takes a long time to reset from that and get to your new normal. And I definitely wasn't quite in it yet. I was still trying to figure out who I was in the world without a spouse. When you're married, it's really hard to imagine just how much your identity starts to absorb being in that partnership. So yeah, so I was really was like, who am I in the my personal world and who am I in my professional world? In the middle of all that, I quit my job and started my own enterprise, so to speak, which had kind of two parts to it. One was supporting myself through independent consulting, business to business. And then the other was developing this platform. I didn't really know what it was going to become, but I knew I wanted to start to form a relationship with uh, family caregivers who were taking care of their parents and have kind of a interchange of ideas across this transom that's them and their day-to-day experiences and me with my expertise and for people who are listening, my expertise is in aging and health policy. How did you get interested in this aging topic? And I know we haven't talked a lot about your own parents that much, but I I am curious, like, well, how did this end up being your focus for the that past is, few decades? It's so funny you ask that question because, so, but just as a quick aside, my kids are now in their 20s. They and their friends are all in the very beginning stages of what do I want to do with my life? So I have a lot of 20-somethings standing in my kitchen, and one of them was there last night at like 11 o'clock, you know, asking me, you know, he's pre-med, so you'll really, you oh, know, and he's like, how did you end up? here in doing what you're doing. So they're always interested in that story. And he just asked me that last night. I was always drawn to the phase of life that is the last phase of life. I can't explain why, but even as an undergraduate, I did my you know work or my psychology undergraduate degree on the last phase of life and aging. And then my very first job out of college was on Capitol Hill working for as a congressional aide to the Congressman John Lewis from Atlanta, Georgia, who was on the aging committee and then on a health subcommittee. And so I just, I was able to, I was able to jump right into that and I loved it. And it was, I love policy because I like the challenge of all of the different systemic parts and how do you think about systems? But I also really like in reason I started daughterhood was because I, I felt like I was missing that like you can't really work on a system when you don't understand how it's affecting people on the ground on kind of like a day-to-day basis. You know, but Joseph, you were right there with me in 2014 when I was going through all of this, like just really in the heart of the struggle, so to speak. And you you held my hand and walked me across the bridge into entrepreneurship. <laughs> I remember, I mean, that was like a kind of a surreal moment for me. And because I remember for people who don't know this, you were my manager 
actually yes. many, many, you were one of my very first managers, I think in full-time employment for me. This is after I dropped out of medical school, was trying to figure out my life. So I was one of those kids, quote unquote, who were kind of in your kitchen, who was trying to figure out what to do next. Yeah. And then, yeah, then we started working together professionally. When I was a coach, I had just started off in 2013. So about a year into that, yeah, you were one of my first clients, which was kind of this weird <laughs> kind of flip for me to be in the role of coach for who had been one of my coaches early on. So, so that was really rewarding and really, yeah, yeah just like a really special, unique relationship, I think, that we've had. It is. And it was for me as well. The second we started to talk, you called me, I think, just to let me know. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, this is what I need. Right. Did you help me? <laughs> I remember sitting in your office when I was your direct report in Washington, D.C. And I remember you telling me about your kids at the time. And this is when I was in my early 20s. And so another major change, I think, for you, Anne, was in 2016, both of your kids were at home. And then oh, yeah. now, I think now if I've got this correct, up. yeah, where are they now? And how has that change been for you? Yeah, in 2016, uh, my oldest was just looking at colleges. And now she's fully graduated from college and is in her first professional role, working um, at the National Institutes for Mental Health, doing work she really likes. So that's a small miracle, really, when you think about how hard it is to find right out of college. And um, and she actually still lives with me because she's saving money, like you know, all good Gen Zers have to do, I think, at this in this day and age. And then my son is a rising junior at, at um, Emory University. So he lives there or he's getting ready to go on foreign study. So my house feels really full right now because it's the summer and he's home and so even though they're here, though, my relationship with them is completely different because they're adults. I still see them. We spend time together. But, you know, I only get involved in their lives when they ask me to. <laughs> That's drawing all these new boundaries, trying figuring out the relationship and how to be a parent to an adult. That has been mind blowing. That must be really surreal. I <laughs> yeah, as you know, I've got a five-year-old daughter coming up on six. So I guess wasn't, I guess roughly maybe the age of grace when you and I worked yep. together in DC. And I've always been curious, like, what's it like the day after, like in your case, both of your kids are off to college and your house is empty. Like, do you remember that day? Yeah, I had a much tougher time when my oldest left because that was the moment when really I went from one phase I felt like I was going from one phase of life to another and when my son left I felt more prepared for it and actually honestly like I enjoyed it I got remarried in 2018 so just about the time that my son he lived here for a couple of years after I got remarried and then he went off to college so it was enjoyable for me to be able to be in my home alone with my new husband. There was a lot of, you know, relationships still to kind of discover and enjoy getting to know each other in that environment. So that was a nice distraction from having your the bitter, bitter, bittersweetness of watching your children leave you, which is 
what they're supposed to do, but it is still bittersweet is the only word I can think of to describe it. It's an incredible privilege to watch them go out. It's thrilling to watch them go discover themselves and go through all of the exciting things that they get to go through as young adults out in the world. But it is also heartbreaking because you know, your relationship with them is not the same. They don't need you as much. There's not that the intimacy is to certain extent diminished that beautiful intimacy that you have with a five-year-old, right? Where you're in there still in that magical, that five-year-old is still in the world of magic. Yes. So I will say this for all of you all who have youngsters is that what helped me a lot was that I had no regrets. And that even though I had worked very hard and I devoted myself a lot to my career, I also really had done everything I wanted to do with my children. I read all the books, you know, we went on all the trips, we um, had all of the movie nights and the popcorn nights. And the. I felt like as sad as I was, there wasn't anything that I could have done differently to have gotten felt any less sad. (laughs) Life is just full of these, as now that I'm 56, I just full of these transitions after transition, after transition, after transition. And just when you think something is one way, it changes. And just one other fact that in this last seven years is that also my parents went from being incredibly independent to my father got very sick and he died. And now my mom is in her 80s and living in an independent living community. So my kids are transitioning. My parents are transitioning. My business was transitioning. So not boring. I know that there's a lot in there to unpack. This is a career show. So I would be, I guess I would be interested before we talk about the evolution of everything that's happened to you over time. Can you remember in 2016, just factoring in everything you just mentioned about the difference that was happening. I guess your kids are getting older. You have come out of one relationship. You're just starting your business. What were some of your biggest concerns at the time? If you can remember back to 2016. I was just concerned about paying the bills. That's not the only one, but I think one of my primary concerns was money, Mm -hmm. just money. I was scared. I didn't have any visibility into whether or not the business would be there. Maybe there'd be three or four months and anybody who's done consulting knows how this is or professional services of any kind, you will have this onslaught of work. And if you're on your own, you have to do it all yourself. And then all of a sudden there won't be any work. And instead of just enjoying the moment of break, you're worrying <laughs> yeah, you're about panicked. where the <laughs> yes. rest of, you know, where that business is, you know, you're either freaking out because you worry about execution risk or you're freaking out because you're worrying about whether or not there's enough business. And by the way, that has not changed. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, I think That's that does happen. There. I still have that a lot. And like, I'm yeah. now a decade into doing this work. And I wouldn't say it keeps me up at night, but I definitely have this productive, I guess, paranoia. I don't even know if it's productive. Sometimes it's this unproductive paranoia about what would happen if all the clients I now work with, like what if they all went away, which a version of that happened to me in 2020 with speaking engagements. And so, yeah, I think as a business owner, you, you never take it for granted, the business that you do have coming in. Yeah. 
One thing I know that has really changed for you since we spoke was at the time you were a solopreneur and you're, as you described, kind of thinking where the next client's going to come from. And, and now you have a team of over 20, I think. Is it like 20? 30. 30 now. Okay, so you got 30 people you're managing whom yeah. you hired. How did you make that decision? Like at what point did you feel like I need to bring somebody on? I was doing a lot of work that I am actually not that good at or efficient at and that I felt like wasn't actually great service to the client. So they're paying me a rate that it is encompassing of all of my expertise and my, you know, my time and the planet. And I'm spending hours dealing with a spreadsheet or a PowerPoint slide deck. And, you know, I contemplated a couple of different models. It's it's not uncommon to contract some of those things out through a 1099 relationship or a, you know, contracting relationship, but to get the kind of constancy and consistency in service and delivery, I wasn't that I thought, oh, what well, this has to grow by some amount. It was more that I felt like if I didn't do that, I was always going to be in a kind of a scarcity mindset. I don't want to be in a scarcity mindset. I want to be in a, we have plenty of resources. We can do this. We've got what we need. And so there was also the serendipity of their own. Oh, then there's this person who was looking for a job and I'd worked with her before and I knew what she could do. And I was like, she could really help me. Another very interesting thing happened because obviously if you're worrying about money and then you're hiring somebody, yeah, then you're pay these people. Now you got payroll. Right. And I had a mentor who was a very wealthy individual and he'd taken an interest in, in the work that we were doing in, in my career, which was really nice. And he called me and he said, I will be your safety net for a while. So if you need some money, you can come to me. And what he said was, this is the awesome thing. He goes, I don't want you to have any excuse not to do this. Wow. So by the way, P.S., I could not get a line of credit at the bank, but he was going to be my bank. And wow. so I took it and it really worked out great. And then in 2017, I hired a second person. Then we 2018 was a slow year. It was a tough year. And I thought, mm, this, this might not work. But I think we even talked about this in 2016, and that's normal. I'm still solo. <laughs> I do contract out with independent freelancers to help me with this show and some other things, but I don't have any employees. One of the challenging things for me is just my bandwidth, and that is because I'm by myself. And yet I have been resistant to bringing anybody else on board. And so I've just kind of dealt with that scarcity that you have mentioned and just sometimes turning away stuff. But yeah, it's a trade-off. Okay. It's a trade-off. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly right. If some businesses are meant to scale that the way that I'm scaling and some businesses are meant to be sort of the individual level, which, you know, everybody makes a big deal out of scaling. Like, ah, oh, scaling is everything. It's not. It's just not. It comes with an enormous number of headaches. I will say, and this is where I think you and I are quite different, My a theme in my whole life has been a little bit of a leaping without looking. <laughs> <laughs> just go for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just like, I, I get, I mean, maybe it's, I get impatient with the analytic 
piece of things, uh, whereas you have so much patience and you'll really look and consider all angles at a certain point. I'm like, I don't have the patience. I like, I can't play chess or checkers. I just like, I don't have the patience for that level of like anticipating every move. So I just go for it. And, but the outcome of that is that sometimes there's wonderful rewards on the other side, but also that I end up, uh, you know, going, I can't believe I did that. You know, like, <laughs> and it actually I worked had no out. Yeah. idea what I was getting myself into, uh-huh. uh, but here I am, you know. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about what you have observed and maybe what has been on your mind lately after thinking about the evolution of your life and also your business over the past seven years. What do you feel is going really well right now for you? And then we'll talk about the challenges in a second, but what's yeah, working okay. and what's going yeah. well for you right now? taking my life as a totality right now, I feel very solid. My mother, my mother-in-law are going through their last stage of life in their eighties. My children are going through a time of change and I feel like I'm well equipped mentally and physically to be solid, be the solid center of their lives and my life. And it feels great it from a business perspective, what I have discovered is that I am really enjoying working on building a business as opposed to working in the business. I really, I very much still enjoy consulting and I enjoy the clients and the work that we're doing and the subject matter, but also the learning and not just learning about business, but learning about I'm always motivated by the challenge of of stepping into this role of CEO. I had to actually write down what my job was and post it on my board because (laughs) I didn't know, like, what does a CEO do? I had to really think about, oh, I'm in charge of setting the strategy and the direction for the company, finding the resources, people and talent and solving the big problems. Like those are my big three. That's a good list. And trusting people that you hire and not getting too into the weeds with their work and what they're doing. And so it's been great. I don't know that I've I've nailed it, but I think that it is exciting to be able to grow. It's exciting to find out what you're capable of. And I think it's iterative. You're not capable until you put yourself in the position and then you learn how to be capable. And then you're like, oh, my God. Yes, you almost have to do it. I think a lot of people wait for the capability to come before they attempt it, but that that doesn't work that way. Yeah, it's very chicken or egg, isn't it? Because you want to have the skills before you go out there if you don't embarrass yourself. But at the same time, you have to go out there and do it to actually develop the skill set. Like I remember early on, I think I gave a TED Talk. It was in 2014, and that was one of the first talks I gave, which actually got me thinking about shifting over from doing more one-on-one coaching to more public speaking. But I mean, it wasn't my best talk, it, but it got me out there, and it got me starting to think about that and to experience what it's like to do that. But it is very hard to decide what's going to be my first move in this particular space and when will I feel Always. comfortable doing it. You're right. I think it does need to happen just before you feel completely ready. Otherwise, you'll never do it. 100%. There was a moment in my life very, very early on where I learned 
to overcome that feeling of shame or embarrassment for putting yourself out there. And it was kind of a, a similar formative moment in my life, actually to do with my dad and advice he gave me in a social situation. And it was very formative. And I realized, oh, you can survive it. <laughs> you can fall on your face in front of a lot of people and be fine. That lodged itself in my subconscious. And so I have been more willing than I think most people to have a more public failure, Mm -hmm. which isn't to say that I don't absolutely dread it. Yeah. It's not fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's not not the best time of your life. But you can, you have to learn to tolerate it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, what have you found most challenging over the past few years? What have you struggled with, whether it's related to the scaling of your business or just running in, an independent consultancy versus being an employee or, or anything in your personal life? What's been the toughest? The theme that has been very challenging across personal and professional has been relationships. And I don't mean client relationships, but when you scale quickly in your life, relationships change. I feel like the same person. I'm the same person, but I am seven years older and I have grown children and I have a parent who needs care and I have a business that's 30 people and growing quickly and it has a lot of visibility out in the public space and a nonprofit platform that also has visibility. And so even within the business, just how people perceive you and what you are doing and what you say to them. And, you know, you go from having these intimate, maybe this is the theme, right? Your children are little and it's very intimate or you're, you're in a small organization or you're an employee with a team and it's pretty intimate. When you grow an organization or when you grow, sometimes those bonds tend to fray the role change and the sort of perceived elevation or distance, what it does is then it it has the potential to damage trust. You know, everybody has their issues and their insecurities and their desires, and they're all colliding against each other in this organization now. So the biggest challenge is how do I set up the infrastructure, that human resources infrastructure and the clarity around roles and the clarity around expectations and values and mission. And that's all quite challenging. And I, in fact, hired somebody with expertise in human resources because I realized I was way out, way out over my skis. <laughs> yeah, it's more complicated than it can seem. I guess initially you feel like, oh, I'll hire these people and I'll kind of just work it out. But yeah, it can be complicated. Oh, yeah, right? no. You just can't even imagine all of the different things that can, I mean, it's just mind blowing. I'd also be interested in maybe talking through some of the things that you mentioned to me back in 2016 to kind of revisit these ideas that you had at the time. I I went back and I actually, as you know, I was just in Chicago a couple of days ago and on the plane ride over there, I was listening to our old episode. And one of the things that you mentioned to me was this idea that your self-worth was kind of driven by your last full-time employer versus your value coming from your own skills and knowledge and experiences. I was just curious how you now think about your value. And maybe this ties into what you're just talking about, about your evolving role 
in your organization. How do you think about those days when you were full-time employed versus now running your own organization? It's still a challenge. Maybe the lesson is that you never stop questioning your value because once it, the consultancy started really started to pick up steam and got off the ground and there was 10 of us or 12 of us or, you know, maybe I felt pretty secure. I was like, I was doing a lot of consulting. I was helping people learn. I was teaching. We were coming up to speed. So maybe there was a break from having to question it. But then a funny thing happened, which is I hired these amazingly talented people who are smarter than me and better at it than I am. And, and if the business is going to really operate well, I got to get out of their way. And so there was a period of time, and it's still kind of going on, where I think, what do I have to offer this organization? Uh-huh. <laughs> and I think I may have told you when we had dinner, I, I have a really great friend and coach now, Gretchen Alkema, who was, I was her grand team and she was in a foundation and then she left and she started her own enterprise. And I brought many of the lessons and I told her about our conversations and now she's out on her own doing strengths-based coaching. And she's like, your job now is to tell everybody where you're going. I was like, oh crap, that I have to know. Uh-huh. <laughs> the value question is just ever present. I think that might just be my, either my insecurity or maybe that's just how we all are. We, you know, as people, as humans, we want to be valuable. And sometimes I like jump in and I'll like edit papers or I'll look at deliverables and offer suggestions. And that's, I feel really valuable when I'm doing that. <laughs> right. <laughs> are we going to grow the business? I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I know how to do this. So I'm still questioning. Figuring it out yeah. as you go. I mean, one of the things that you mentioned to me also in 2016, Anne, was that a lot of progress is just about showing up. Yeah. Do you still believe that? Yes. You know, that feeling of panic. I'm sure you feel this way too. I assume you do, which is that the nice thing about getting a few years under your belt is that when you get into a trough from a business perspective, you can look back you know, have a history. Yes. You can say, oh, look, I, there were five other troughs that always works out. And that this showing up thing and wrestling, just like I have a lot more faith now, I think, about this value question that if I just wrestle with it, that the next thing will unfold. Then shining your flashlight on just the next right step. It's still scary. I could make a big mistake, make a bad decision, and it will affect a lot of people. I can only just do the best that I can. Showing up is everything. Consistency is everything. I don't know if you know this, but I I feature a little clip from your discussion with me back in 2016 when you said that just because something is hard, it doesn't mean you're failing. And it's less about talent and more about commitment and consistency. I think word for word, that is what you said, because I play it a lot for people. Do you still believe that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I get a lot of nice positive reinforcement now from the outside world. We, You can almost hear the like the tape playing in their head. Like, I don't know that I would have ever thought you could do this. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> me either. Me either. The only difference between me and the many, many phenomenal people who aren't creating and building their own companies is that I just do it. 
I just do it. And there is an element of taking risk. I do think that I have a tolerance for risk. It's not about being particularly smart or particularly talented. It's about being willing to put yourself out there and just keep going. Well, this kind of ties into the last thing I was hoping to talk with you about before we wrap up with what's next for you. It was this idea that you shared with me about how the universe tends to respond when you open yourself up to change. And as you just mentioned, just going for it and doing it. And I'd be curious to hear what you think of that now, both when you think about your personal life, I guess I'll just direct you to one idea here, which is just the fact you're now remarried. But also anything in your professional life. Like, how do you think about this idea of opening yourself up to change and putting yourself out there for that potential change? I guess I just kind of believe in this, that there's a momentum in the larger fabric of the universe. There's momentum. And that our jobs are really just to start the momentum. And that you can put things in motion, I should just say, because I do strengths-based work, Clifton Gut, the Gallup Company, and my top five strengths, ideation and activation are among my top five. So it's easy for me to say, like having an idea, putting it in motion, having an idea, putting it in motion. My biggest challenge sometimes is just actually to not put an idea in motion because there's enough things in motion right now. (laughs) I've got a lot of ideas. Not going to, you know, start playing the flute again. Like, nope, (laughs) you know. But having those strengths, what has allowed me to observe that when you put something in motion and you put a little bit of muscle behind it and you commit to it, physics law here where then it picks up steam. There's going to be things that are going to come along that are going to facilitate that. And it's really cumulative. So like I'm seeing things happen now in my world that I would never have ever imagined, you know, like big companies coming and saying, you know, we want to acquire you or it's amusing, actually. It's like, <laughs> I bet, yeah. You know, <laughs> I didn't expect like, you to say that, yeah. I'm not, you know, getting to what's next. You know, that's not what I'm interested in. But it's a signal that... There's this momentum because what I've been doing is just heads down doing the work. I think you said this to me and I still have it on my bulletin board doing that. Yes, you did. Joseph, you said this to me. I'm curious what this is. You did doing the 20 mile march every day. Oh, right. Yes. The Jim Collins concept. Yeah. Great by choice book. I wrote down like in 2016, I still have anything truly great will take at least five to 10 years to build. And at some level, quote, this might not work is at the heart of all important projects. Things do take time. It's very easy to just give up when you aren't getting the traction that you want. Or I guess having, one of my issues is just having such high expectations of what I think is going to happen tomorrow. And it doesn't pan out that way. And then I get really disappointed (laughs) by it. And then the problem is then you might give up on it. Right. Or you're 99% of the way there. And right when you're about to turn a corner, you drop it. I mean, I have had some disappointments Daughterhood, which is the nonprofit platform. Joseph, I did not become as famous as Oprah. Remember, <laughs> do you remember me being like, I want to be like Oprah, but I remember, for caregiving? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to talk about Daughterhood. So yeah, I do remember that you had a certain vision for it. And it yeah. Like, it's not so much about not doing what you're doing, but about reframing your expectations. Yes. 
I know one of the things you mentioned to me also at the time was if you were to give advice, I'll just ask you the same question again today, but if you were to give your advice to your younger self, one of the things you said was about suffering less. And I'm wondering what your perspective is on this now. And is there any sort of advice you might share with Anne in 2016 when you were in the earlier days of starting and running your business? You've got everything you need. You're not missing anything. I think that I've lived a lot of my life thinking I wasn't smart enough or talented enough, but that my strengths, you know, your unique constellation of gifts is enough. It's enough to do the things that are meaningful to you. And that's really all that really matters. So it's not about like success as it's defined by the world. It's more about what it is that you want to get up every morning and do. And you absolutely have everything that it takes to do that what's meaningful to you on a day-to-day basis. There's no question. Everybody does. And I think that's what I would say. Just remind myself that you are enough. Well, I want to wrap up with what you are doing now. And I, I know there's all sorts of things we could talk about. I'm probably most interested in what you just mentioned, which at the time you had just launched Daughterhood Circles back in 2016, or you were kind of thinking about the idea of it, which was to provide women with these resources to care for their aging parents. And how did you envision that going and how has it gone and what's next for? I know there's a lot of questions wrapped up in that one question. For people who don't live in the United States listening to this podcast, we have a very broken system for supporting older adults and their families when their ability to function in their day-to-day life starts to diminish and they need supports and services. So there's no front door to a system. There's no front door to a front door. It's just, you're really on your own. So the idea behind the these grassroots circles formed by volunteers in every community was that they would serve as the sort of peer-to-peer coaching and support and connection to resources. Like who better uh, to tell you where you can go for things than people who've been through it. It turns out that trying to scale a grassroots volunteer-led organization that is highly disaggregated or disparate across the country is really, really hard. And people still don't know the answers to those questions. We really, really flailed for many years in trying to build this network of circles at the local level. We had a handful of really high-performing ones. We had a bunch that didn't ever get off the ground. And eventually we pivoted. My father's death and COVID kind of coincided with really pushing me into a new approach, which is a virtual circle platform and making it more topic-based. And then we're now getting ready to launch a whole new way of connecting our community to resources at the local level that will give them the resources they need to get going. And we are moving it into a nonprofit and getting the 501c3 designation that will enable us to hopefully raise some money and truly scale There are a couple of um, relationships that broke up between myself and some of our leaders and volunteers that were really kind of excruciatingly painful for me. I guess whenever you're going through these moments of change and evolution, it's hard to keep every relationship 
intact in a positive way. And it's just, there's so many moving parts. And you fail people. You like, you just, you can't meet everybody's expectations for everything all the time. And, and sometimes they're coming from a place that you couldn't control it, even if you wanted to, like you could trust yourself under a pretzel and they would still doesn't have anything to do with you, you know, Yes, (laughs) but it's still painful. I'm really excited. And I have an incredible partner now in all of this, somebody who's sort of appeared at the right time to help me turn this kind of next phase into a reality. And that's made all the difference. Last question then for you, Anne, because I do want to end on a positive note here, because it sounds like you've gone through so much change and you've grown your organization. Your life has changed over the past seven years, both personally and professionally. At the beginning of our chat today, you mentioned that little animated trailer that I put together to launch this podcast a few years ago. And in that trailer, we featured something you said at the time about how you wished you had known just how amazing it is to be in the process of doing something new. What has been the most rewarding part of your career change journey? It's still the creation of something that is not lived in the world before. And, you know, I mentioned this at the beginning, working on the business and probably a more, little bit more of a big picture way of saying that is getting up every morning, getting to think about what's next. For me, it's 100% about creativity. You have to have all of the business fundamentals there and you have to have all the right people who know how to execute. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it, but when I'm really in the zone, when I'm really feeling great. It's when I'm thinking about we're going to be a 50 person business in a year and a half. And here are the things that we're going to be doing. And here's the content we're going to put out around that and the reports we're going to write and the money we're going to raise for daughterhood and just being able to not just have the idea and not just activate it, but then kind of move it along and see it appear in the world. It's my art. So I'm not an artist. I'm a terrible artist a terrible musician. I'm a really bad gardener, you know, all of those things, but this, this is my art. And so for me, it's a creative process and that's what gets me up in the morning and makes it all worthwhile. Thank you so much for chatting with me again today and about your Thank journey. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I mean, you've gone from independent consultant to now the CEO of your own advisory firm. Your life has changed so much over the past few years. And I appreciate you sharing with me and everybody else what you've learned along the way. So thanks for joining me on this very special 100th episode of the show. Woo-hoo! Also for your willingness to record that chat with me way back in 2016, that really planted the first seed to getting this podcast off the ground. So Well, Joseph, you've done amazing work. You've helped so many people along the way. So huge congratulations to you as well. Thank you. I'm reflecting that actually there's a little bit of a kind of like container that for us to have this conversation that is important. Like we need to do this. We need to have like a way to kind of go, okay, gosh, I didn't realize like I got married. My dad died. My kids grew up and left the home. The business grew like all in seven years. I don't think I really fully reflected on all of that. So thank you. Of course, of course. Thank you for sharing it it all with me too. And yeah, yeah, it's just nice that we can stay in touch after all these years. How long is it? It's like 20 years now, I guess. Well, we'll be in touch for the rest of our lives. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) Yeah. Well, in the meantime, best of luck with your work at ATI Advisory, the future of daughterhood, and of course, the rest of your life there in DC. Hope to talk with you again soon, Anne. 
Okay. So I hope you enjoyed hearing Anne's reflections on the past few years of running and growing her own business, how consistent effort matters most, and why she still believes that just doing something new is itself rewarding. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'm going to share what I've learned about the dynamics of relaunching your career from all the guests who have appeared on the 100 episodes of this show. Before we get to today's Mental Fuel, I wanted to thank Vista Social for supporting this episode of the Career Relaunch Podcast. Vista Social is a versatile, time-saving tool to manage all your social media accounts in one place. You can easily create, schedule, optimize, and publish content, even with the assistance of AI, directly to multiple social media profiles from one simple dashboard. I actually use it myself to manage all my social profiles. Try Vista Social out for free right now by going to Career Relaunch vista This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge to help you move forward with your own career goals. Over the past seven years of this show, we've now featured nearly 100 guests from over 15 countries, five continents, people of different ages, races, backgrounds, locations, industries, organizations, functions, and roles, all with unique stories and journeys, but with some consistently shared challenges, ways of overcoming those challenges, and lessons learned along the way. On a personal note, Last month, I also hit my 10-year anniversary of leaving the corporate world way back in August 2013 when I walked away from marketing ice cream for a living to focusing my professional life on helping people relaunch their careers. So for today's Mental Fuel and this 100th episode, I wanted to do something a little different today and summarize a few of my key takeaways from the nearly 100 people who have come onto this show to describe how they managed to relaunch their careers. And I want to share three realities, enablers, and payoffs related to the often challenging pursuit of finding more fulfilling work. And I'm going to dip into the Career Relaunch Archive to feature clips from guests whom I feel covered these concepts well. First, I want to share three myths and realities of changing career paths. Number one, you do not need to find your passion. You just need to focus on what excites you, something Bruce Daisley, sales director turned tech VP, mentioned in episode 26. I don't think you necessarily succeed just because you're following your passions but if you've got a degree of passion and excitement to what you end up doing it probably motivates you and propels you a little bit further number two you do not have to have everything logically mapped out before you make your change at some point you have to just trust your instincts which export manager turned naturopath audrey lamarg shared in episode nine Trust your gut feeling and follow your instinct and give yourself the time to actually figure it out. The answer will come eventually if you keep your mind open. I would give myself that trust and that confidence. And number three, you should not expect change to happen instantly. It requires patience and persistence, something restaurant manager turned magazine founder Stephen Satterfield discussed in episode 15. There is a such thing as an overnight success, but 
that's not a thing that happens very often. Like you're better off trying to play the lottery if your plan is to, to make it happen overnight. Um, and what's, what's way more likely in any business venture is that it's the product of day after day, month after month, compounding year after year until there is a, a significant breakthrough. So changing careers is about identifying what energizes you, moving in broadly the right direction, and being patient along the way. I've also heard throughout these conversations that clarity, confidence, and courage are the key components of making a change. Clarity is about deciding what matters, which consultant-turned-founder Chinwe Onyagoro mentioned in episode 37. And I was traveling four out of five days a week in all the major Fortune 500 companies, and it was tremendous. And yet I was watching my daughter, Uma, grow up via a Nest camera, 30,000 feet in the air. And that was tough for me. And regrettably had to step off and reassess how I could make a contribution in a different way that allowed me to be a greater part of my infant and toddler's life. To get clarity, you have to decide what's most important to you during this specific chapter of your career. Next, confidence. Take solace in the fact that you really can't go wrong focusing on what you feel is best for your life rather than being overly concerned about the judgments of others. Something tax consultant turned rapper turned SEO agency founder Deepak Shukla shared in episode 51. People are so busy with their own lives that you can relaunch yourself in any way you want. And the biggest obstacle actually is yourself. And realizing that no one cares for me has been very liberating. Luke's my best friend, right? How often do I actually think very carefully about Luke's career decisions, about what he's doing? Not that much. To gain confidence in your choices, just remember that no one cares about your career as much as you do. Finally, courage. Understand that your career isn't going to just evolve on its own. At some point, you have to take a leap and jump off the conveyor belt, something doctor-turned-teacher Karen Hing reminded us of in episode 52. If I'm going to change career, it's, it's sort of like you're stepping off of this conveyor belt. And that was one of the scariest things for me. That was all I had ever known. And also because I was so fixated on doing what I thought society was telling me the right thing was. What I wish I had known earlier was that you are allowed to do other things outside of the small box which you've drawn for yourself. To garner courage, you have to be willing to take a bold, manageable leap at some point. Now, finding the clarity, confidence, and courage to make brave steps toward doing more meaningful work does require effort. And you may be thinking, why not just settle for a traditional career and tolerate my job that I don't mind? but don't exactly love. As someone myself, who's experienced the before and after of going from a job I dislike to one I actually enjoy, and having spoken now to so many people who have relaunched their own careers, I deeply believe this hard work and effort is absolutely worth it. I see three major benefits to pursuing your unique career path that you find meaningful. First, you can feel excited again, as lettering artist Alex Troshut explained in episode 56. 
our careers are like marriages. Routines can step in very easily and then somehow what was exciting is not exciting anymore. It's very important to make your relationship with your work exciting again. Second, you can be proud of who you are around the people who matter to you, which teacher turned artist Sandeep Johal said was important to her in episode 20. I really thought about what kind of mother I want to be and what kind of life I want to have. And I realized that I couldn't tell my son to dream big or to go after his dreams if I wasn't doing it myself. And I realized that I had to just push through all the fear about doing this and just do it because I want to be the best role model I can for my son. And finally, you can actually enjoy your work, which tax consultant turned data scientist Erica Rusi described in episode 77. I just always assumed that work was just work and uh, misery was always attached to it. But you weren't really ever going to enjoy work because work was really just for a paycheck. But the fact that I really love what I do, that I'm constantly learning is such a blessing. What would your life and career look like if you could feel excited, be proud of what you do? and actually love what you did for a living. One of the things that convinced me to change career paths back in 2013 was listening to Steve Jobs' 2005 Stanford commencement address when he said, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? And whenever the answer has been no for too many days in a row, I know I need to change something. On a personal note, death has actually been on my mind a lot lately. My own grandmother passed away last month in Taiwan. She would have been 100 this month, and she was the only remaining grandparent I had. As someone now in my mid-40s, I'm starting to hear more from friends who have had loved ones pass away recently or take a sudden turn for the worse. In my line of work, I often cross paths with many people who understandably take a more calculated approach to career change. I'll hear things like, once I get promoted, or once I'm fully vested in these stock options, or once I buy that bigger house. And then they just put off their career move until the conditions are exactly as they hope them to be. And this delay can just go on indefinitely. Now, I absolutely respect, empathize with, and even support the idea of taking a ruthlessly practical approach to your career, to appreciate what you already have, and to not try to push for making things better all the time. Moving on is often harder than holding on to what you already have, even when you know deep down that this isn't as happy as you could be. I would just recommend you focus on deciding when the conditions are good enough, not perfect, but good enough for you to take your leap. Because the clock just continues to tick along and you have to decide how long you're willing to tolerate doing work you don't really enjoy. And when you will make room for something you find truly fulfilling. This takes me to a quote from the Brazilian lyricist and writer Paulo Coelho. One day, you'll wake up 
and there won't be any more time to do the things you've always wanted. Do it now. So my challenge to you is to decide what choice you feel you could make for your career that you can be proud of. One that you're confident you can look back on in 10 years, 20 years from now, and not regret. What matters most to you right now during this chapter of your life and career, and what step will you take to honor this? Before I go today, I wanted to share this clip from Owen, a listener in Ireland. My name is Owen and I'm from Ireland. I recently found this podcast when I started reflecting on my own career and looking at my future paths and how I feel about them and, and thinking about where other options might take me. Even though for me, I don't see myself opening my own business, I've really appreciated having heard such a wide variety of speakers with different backgrounds and it's incredibly validating to hear people basically pick a thought out of your own head and say, hey, the way you're feeling, I know how that feels. I felt that too. And here's what I did about it. It has opened up ideas for me of where I can take my career moving forward. So thank you, Joseph, and to your wider community for the podcast. Well, thank you so much, Owen, for taking the time to call in. I'm really happy to hear that guests on this show have given you some reassurance that the thoughts you have about your career are totally normal. I also just wanted to say a personal thank you to everyone else out there listening to this show. For me, hosting the Career Relaunch podcast over the past few years has sort of been a way for me to bring together all my personal and professional interests Learning from all of these guests and listeners willing to share your personal stories with me has been a real privilege. I know some of you have been loyal listeners since the very first episode of the show. A few of you have come onto the show to share your own stories of career change. And for others, this may be the very first episode of Career Relaunch you've listened to. Regardless of whether this is the first or 100th episode you've listened to, I really appreciate you joining me on my journey of hosting this podcast and for joining our community of listeners around the world as we all try to make strides to do work we find more meaningful. If you have a question about career change you want me to address on the show, or if you have a story of career change in your own life you would like to share, I'd love for you to email me at joseph at careerrelaunch.net or leave me a voicemail with your thoughts at careerrelaunch.net slash 100 where you can also find a summary of my discussion with Anne and find links to all the guest episodes featured during today's Mental Fuel segment. Again, that's careerrelaunch.net slash 100. Thanks so much for being part of the Career Relaunch community. And a special thanks again to Anne Tumlinson for coming back onto this show to share her story with us today from Washington, D.C. Also, a very special thanks to Liam McKenzie, who's been mixing and producing this show since 2021. To Reeve, who produced the music you heard featured today, and to Electrocardiogram, who composed the Career Relaunch theme song. I'm Joseph Liu, and I wish you the best in the next steps of your career relaunch.